Hello, and welcome to this episode of Special Advising No Parent Left Behind. I'm your host, Mark Ingracia, and I have 35 years of experience in the field of special education as a classroom teacher, a parent trainer, a tutor, and an advocate. This is a podcast for parents and caregivers of children along the spectrum of disabilities that welcomes everyone interested in learning about topics from the world of exceptional needs, educational services, health and wellness, fitness, nutrition for you and your child, and more. Thank you so much for joining me. And if you like the show, please subscribe, like, comment, and tell your friends about it. In this episode, I'll be speaking with Russell Van Brocklin. Russell is the driving force behind dyslexia classes. With the New York State Senate support, his pivotal research began in 2001, culminating in a key presentation at the International Dyslexia Association's New York City branch in 2006. Russell's innovative techniques remarkably improved writing skills of talented dyslexic high schoolers from a middle school to graduate school level. Many of these students transitioned to college without special accommodations. A recognized voice in the field, Russell presented at the Everyone Reading Conference from 2014 to 2023 and trained over 80 educational diagnosticians in 2022. Russell and Dyslexia Classes wants you to be able to address your child's unique dyslexic challenges confidently. To that end, he is making this special offer to my listeners. Secure a 90-minute strategy session with us, where we'll adapt our proven webinar techniques to your child's distinct learning needs. It's time to fully understand, adapt, and together conquer dyslexia, enhance their potential, and build a brighter future. Schedule your focused individual consultation today. I will post the link for you to take advantage of this offer in the show's description, as well as the resource page of my website. After the interview, stay tuned for a tip of the cap, your exceptional needs parenting tip. Now, please join me as I welcome Russell Van Brocklin to Special Ed Rising for another win. Hello, Russell. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on today. Well, thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate it to advance the knowledge on a subject that I think a lot of people, it's a bit of a mystery for a lot of people. So I'm really curious and, and eager to hear what you have to say and to educate the audience on your approach, which we've spoken a little bit about, and it sounds pretty incredible. Thanks. Well, my approach comes from the fact that I'm dyslectic myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I was told that I was dyslectic going into third grade. Um, I was told not to go. I was pulled out of special, put in special ed where I learned nothing. Um, I was told when I wanted to, pu- to be pulled out of special ed for history and go to normal classes in eighth grade that I couldn't do it. I wasn't smart enough. Uh, I had a school board member across the street, and with their help, I forced my way into history and got the history award for the top student of the year. Wow. And then I went on to uh, high school and became a high honor roll student my freshman semester in college-bound classes for everything. But I was told by my AP history professor who had a doctor in history that I shouldn't go to college until I could learn to write because he would have to take over an hour to try to decipher a few paragraphs for a short answer essay question. And he said, professors don't have time for that. So I went to college anyway. It was more of a disaster than he even said. But what finally got me is when I entered the assembly internship program in 97, they placed me in the program and counsel's office, which dealt with graduate students. They had three administrative assistants to help me out. And this is the thing that changed my life because they recommended 15 credits of A minus, but SUNY Center of Buffalo would only would put on 15 credits of F because I didn't write a paper. I did an oral report. Okay. So I wanted to solve this for everybody. So my first program was designed to take highly motivated college-bound high school kids who were having writing problems and bring their writing skills up to the average graduate level entrance students. Why? Because when I talked to top dyslectic professors, they told me that they excelled in graduate school and had challenges before that. They owned the place once they entered graduate school because very specific in their narrow area of interest. Whereas undergrad before it was much more generalized and they weren't anywhere near as good. So I uh, created a program to bring the writing skills up to average or above average on the graduate records exam analytical writing assessment, which is essentially the SAT type test for most graduate students. 
And we did that. Cost the state less than $900. Took, it was finished within one academic year. And the students went from 7th, 8th grade writing to average or above average of undergraduate students. Problem with that approach is that it was only for a very minority number of students and it had to have the best special ed teacher. So I was sent back to how do we change this? How do we add this so that we can work with everybody? And we needed to start at the beginning and come up with something more powerful at the end. So what was noticed in the final report by Dr. Holichka uh, in the student's writing is that the spelling and grammar autocorrected from horrendous to clean at the graduate level. So what I wanted to do now for your listeners is a lot of them are going to have trouble with their dyslectic students, where as one teacher said, uh, my students are writing a bunch of randomly placed misspelled words. I don't know what to do. So I'm about to show you how to fix that. And then we can move on to uh, what we can do for students who are more advanced. I just want to say your story is a great example of how people who might misunderstand dyslexia to, to think that it's an intellectual problem, but it's not. Right. So let's kind of, before I go to this example, let's just give you the science to overcome that. Mm -hmm. I'm going to refer parents to the top book on the, uh, on the science, Overcoming Dyslexia, Second Edition by Sally Shaywitz from Yale. Okay. Go to page 78, figure 23. Okay. You're going to see a brain image. The, the back part of the dyslectic brain has almost no neural activity. But the front part of the brain is vastly overactive, about two to three times that from a general education student. That area deals with two areas, word analysis followed by articulation. So when dealing with your dyslectic student, let's just start with what the, what the problem is. You need to ask them this question. First of all, you need to identify their speciality. Their speciality is their area of extreme interest and ability. Not, not uh, interest, no ability, or no interest in a lot of ability. Their extreme interest and ability. Find what that is, and then you ask them this question. Have you ever found in your speciality that you have ideas flying around your head at light speed? Key question, but with little to no organization. And they're almost certainly going to answer yes. Mm -hmm. And at that point, what you tell them you're going to do is you're going to show them how to force their brain to organize itself. Here's the key point by using writing as a measurable output. We have to measure this in some ways. We're going to do it through writing. And now you have their attention. And then what you do is you train them to overcome their writing and reading concerns in their speciality. You pick a book, you pick an audio book, and we can discuss how you go through that. But in that point, now you got their attention. So the problem is we are thinking so rapidly up in the front part of our brain with little to no organization. Once you fix that biggest problem, as we found in our original program, the spelling and grammar pretty much autocorrected. I mean, mm -hmm. think about that. Middle school to graduate level where the teacher spent almost no time on it. Okay. So now what I'm going to do is I'm going to start showing you how we do that for the students who are writing a bunch of randomly placed misspelled words. Okay. All right. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to go through a process with you. I'm going to ask you some very specific questions. And when I do this at major academic conferences, most teachers, the vast majority of them can't answer the specific question. Okay. So let's see if, let's see if you can. So <laughs> okay. here's the formula. Hero plus sign. What does the student like? Hero plus sign, what does the student like? Okay. Okay. So we, ha we literally have the student type this out on a real keyboard, not handwriting, not uh, tapping on an iPad or an iPhone, but typing on a real keyboard. So they mm -hmm. type out hero plus sign, what are we talking about? Before they put the period down, they can ask you any question. Okay. But once they put the period down, if they make a spelling mistake or a major grammatical mistake, they have to retype the entire sentence. Eventually, they're going to get really tired of retyping, and they're going to hyper-focus on not making the mistakes they've been making. And at that point where the magic happens, this is where things start to self-correct. Okay. But let's go through the formula. Let's say we're going to take a student named Sarah, 
and the thing she loves most is swimming. So it's going to be hero plus sign, what are we talking about? Sarah plus sign, what are we talking about? Sarah plus sign, swimming. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to ask you a very specific question. Does Sarah like or dislike swimming? She likes it. Now replace that with a plus sign. What's Sarah the sentence? Like, Sarah likes swimming. Okay. There's, you made the mistake. <laughs> I asked, does Sarah like or dislike swimming? Right. You automatically added the S. Correct. Sarah doesn't know how to add the S. Mm-hmm. So now we have a technical problem. How do we teach Sarah to add the S? My primary competition is Orton Gillingham. Been around for almost 100 years. Takes two years to learn. They can show you how to do this in a matter of several weeks. I'm going to show you how to do this right now. <laughs> Much simpler. We ask Sarah to read what she wrote out loud, and she reads, Sarah like swimming. Then we ask her this most important question. Does that sound generally correct? Mm-hmm. And Sarah's answer is going to be? So no, it's yeah. not correct. Yes. Yeah, so she's, and every time I've tried this, it's Sarah, she's going to, she said, the student says, no, that doesn't sound correct. So then mm-hmm. I say, fix it. Sarah likes swimming. So as we get them to write out their sentences, what happens is they find that it doesn't sound correct, and then they correct it. With their, they, make, they write so it sounds correct. Does this mm-hmm. solve all grammar problems? No. But you get rid of the really nasty grammar errors, and you get it down to the point where a teacher can work with it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay? And then we continue this. So what we can provide your audience, uh, we do this free of charge. We can send them a document and some video lessons. Uh, that teach them how to do this, where they end up with Sarah Lowe's cleaning her room because it's not fun, it smells, and she would rather be with her friends. So we have a series of videos that we give away to parents with written instructions where they can then go ahead and do this. So as they go through that process, now we have we no longer have a bunch of randomly placed misspelled words. They can write basic sentences. Right. So one of the key, what I just told you is one of the key things that teachers really need help with for those students. Now, for those students who can write the sentence I just told you, uh, what we have is what I like to call our half circle process. That's where we take a hero, and then we follow it by a universal theme, and then we pick an optimum villain. And we come across this at three different levels. Those students who can just start to write sentences like this, those who can write a a basic five-paragraph essay relatively well, and for those who are, let's say, advanced placement English students all the way through college and graduate students who need to show up to class with something original to say. So in going through that, we'll take a hero. A hero is a person or a concept. We usually start off with a person. The intermediate advanced levels can go into concepts. So let's take, for example, Walt Disney. A lot of people think that Walt Disney was dyslectic, uh, and it makes sense based on his life story. So we have Walt Disney, and let's look at him around. The happiest time of his life was when he was in Marceline, Missouri, on a small farm. What is it that Walt Disney wanted to do? He wanted to escape the drudgeries of adult life. He wanted to be a kid. All right. So what we do is I'll tell at the beginning level, give me a sentence or two. For the intermediate level, give me a paragraph or two. And for an advanced level, give me five to 50 paragraphs, 50 paragraphs if you're a doctoral student. Then what we do is we need to identify two types of words. Action words, which lead the hero from where they want to go at the, in the general direction and the most important words. What you're going to find is at the beginning level, you're going to give me one of each. For the intermediate, you might have five or ten of each one, and then you compare each one until you come down to one of each, and then you tell me which way to go. And for advanced level, you're going to give me probably up to 50 or 100 words, same process. So then we have to decide, are we going from an action word or a most important word? We pick which way we want to go. Um, Usually it's the most important word, and that's our base universal theme. Then we'll go into the thesaurus. For beginning students, I'll say pick two to five words, look them up in Merriam-Webster's online dictionary, 
pick your definition, type out the word, not copy-paste, type the word and the definition, and then pick which one is better than your base universal theme. For more advanced students, I would say do them all and keep going down level to level until you find the best word that matches what's in your head. All right? Just more work uh, at the more advanced levels. Now we have our universal theme. Then we pick our optimum villain. The villain can be a person or a concept. And the, it's, the villain is the best one who can prevent the hero from achieving their goal. You put that together... And what you now have is a simple sentence for a beginning student, something you can discuss more in class at the intermediate level for advanced students. You could look at it, you could look at the hero, go through that process and say, for this piece of literature, for this critical juncture, here's a new uh, universal theme that the teacher or professor probably hasn't thought of at that juncture. So, so they can contribute to class. So that's basically how we use what we call a half-circle process. I know I just gave you a lot of information on what we can do is provide some uh, a video uh, and some instructions to your listeners where they can go through it. And then I'd be happy you just tell me if they're beginning, intermediate, or advanced. And I can then walk you through how to clarify what we just went over. So what's cool is that about a podcast is that people can go back and slow it down and listen. <laughs> Again, so, yep. A lot of information is fine and people can go at their own pace, which is really mm -hmm. nice. How did you come up? How did you develop this, this program? Uh, over 20 years. Hmm. Uh, basically, when I did my first program, I thought I was done. I thought I showed the world what needed to be done. <laughs> and I was told in no uncertain terms that it uh, it was too specific to one narrowly focused group. I had to expand it to everybody. And the second one is it wasn't strong enough. Okay. So we have vastly more powerful programs than what we just discussed. This is just the, the material we decided to give away. Okay. So it, it's basically if you look at the more advanced course, which is where most people are going to be, this very much deals with word analysis followed by articulation. And that's what plays to our strengths. And it just, as you're going through that, especially as you look up the words, type out the word in the definition, as you do that over and over again, you're developing a very rich and robust vocabulary. Mm -hmm. Because let's say, for example, uh, emancipation. That's what we did with Disney. How many times do you have to look up emancipation and type it out? For dyslectics, it's a lot more than gen ed students, but as you mm -hmm. keep doing this process, I've had students do this in middle school, and then when they reached high school and had to take their SAT or ACT, they didn't have to do that much with learning new words because they already knew them. Mm -hmm. That's how long this, this stuff stays with you. That's incredible. Do you find that kids of different intellectual levels achieve better through this process than others? Yes, what I uh, students with dyslexia tend to have a slight IQ bump over gen ed students okay. in general, but uh, the more intelligent they are, the more they can do. I've worked with students. I mean, my basic uh, IQ is 127, which okay. is around the 95th, 96th percentile. And I've worked with kids well into the 150s. So I think one was in the low 160s. <laughs> and they just flew with it. And mm -hmm. Really, really surpassed me in every way, shape, and form. Um, mm -hmm. They just learned so quickly. But by helping them organize their brains, they were able to make much more use of, uh, of their graduate programs. Okay. We spoke earlier where your experience when you were younger was presenting through oral reports as opposed to written. Mm -hmm. Correct? Do yes. You, do you feel that's still a viable accommodation for kids that maybe intellectually function a little bit lower? Or do you think that on some level, every child with dyslexia can take advantage of your program? Uh, generally, I deal with average or above average IQs, okay. uh, typically. Uh, this isn't a solution for everybody. My work is designed for students who are eventually going to go on to a community college for a head-in-hands job, such as advanced manufacturing, auto mechanics, nursing, plumbing, mm -hmm. that sort of thing or going on to additional four-year college. Um, for those, I think that the students need to learn to write because now I can show them. And people are very big into this, speak to text and all that. I've noticed if I have to write something important, 
I still have to type it. Okay. So we, we take students through what I just showed you was basically up to a simple sentence. Mm -hmm. um, we have a program where uh, if you're, if after talking with us, the parents are interested, we can give them a thousand dollar discount where we take them and we show them how to write a basic five paragraph essay. Okay. Step by step, they're what we, they stay with us until they're successful. Mm -hmm. Our next program after that uh, brings the concept up to about the eighth or ninth grade level. And then we move on to what I like to call the craft of research, which is what the top university professors want. And no AP English class in the country covers it. It was designed for graduate students at the University of Chicago who couldn't, they didn't know how to write. So we show parents how to teach their kids to, number one, in the first program, to come up with something unique to say. Imagine uh, turning in a paper on Romeo and Juliet and the teacher hadn't read, uh, actually learning something new about it. Mm -hmm. We can show you how to do that. And then, then in the, ne the next program, we show you how to write at the uh, five-paragraph essay at the craft of research level, which, again isn't taught anywhere at any high school in the country. Mm -hmm. uh, and then what the students do is they go into college and we're finding that for this, this is very strange. Senior professors want to work with them because of their writing skills. So that's, that's typically what we train our, uh, our, we train parents how to do this through a webinar. And okay. that way they're in control of it. They stay as long as they need. And, you know, it's not going to bankrupt them like the traditional approaches. I mean, like right. these private Orton Gillingham places are, Fifty, eighty thousand dollars a year, and they need a lot of years. Mm -hmm. What I like about the program is the potential for even some lower functioning kids to be able to write a basic sentence. Oh, abs absolutely. So, if right. you're talking about how to write a, the, how to write a basic sentence, we just give that away. Mm -hmm. It's uh, I had a mom whose uh, child is autistic rewrite our curriculum. She homeschools them. Artistic dyslexia, not the same thing, but there's some similarities. And that's it. We, we have those videos and the instructions, and you just follow those, and you just said that will get them to write, you know, Sarah um, loathes cleaning her room because of one, reason one, two, and three. Mm -hmm. Once you reach that, we go into the half circle process, which we just explained. Uh, we have we have an 11-minute video on explaining how to do that. And then from there, we move on to a complex sentence. And if you look in the grammar book, it's simple, compound, complex, compound, complex. My mm -hmm. students simply like simple and complex. They don't like the other two, so we don't teach those. Okay. And then we move on to showing you how to do a basic five-paragraph essay, which is so important for the general education teachers because what they keep telling me is, if I could only have a student write a five-paragraph essay that's well-organized, reasonably written without a, you know, with basic spelling and not that many grammar mistakes, then I can start doing my job. Mm -hmm. They don't know what to do until they get to that point. Right. right. And the school districts don't know how to do this. I mean, I know that because I'm training them all the time. Mm -hmm. and, and then they go back and say, hey, I got this new approach. And a lot of the times the school districts won't let them incorporate it because it doesn't fit in because school systems are designed for general education students. Trying to adapt things for dyslexia is like trying to put a square through a round hole. It just, it doesn't look pretty in, in the end. Right. Do you find that students with ADHD and dyslexia uh, share a lot in common with dyslexia because the organizational process is a problem for both, correct? Yes. Well, I have, AD, I have ADHD myself in a mild okay. way. So in, from a treatment perspective, uh, it's a lot easier to work with ADD or ADHD. Again, we focus on their speciality. In their speciality, attention deficit disorder doesn't exist. These students are hyper-focused. Right. Okay. And it, it, in a, from a treatment perspective, it's kind of like a mild case of dyslexia. They pick up the process much faster. They tend to go very deep as well. Dyslectics tend to go even deeper. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's much easier to correct. But the main point is having them learn in their speciality. For example, I had one student named Casey who loved Theodore Roosevelt. So I assigned her the rise of Theodore Roosevelt. She was mm -hmm. in fifth grade, second grade reading level. This was a 900-page book that won the Pulitzer. And in six months, I gave her, the, I gave her a simple process. 
you work for two to three hours a night, five to seven nights a week on her own. Her mom didn't really know what was going on. And then in sixth grade, the teacher called her and asked, how is your daughter reading high school level material? Uh, (laughs) And she's at the end of the book and she can read this. I thought she had dyslexia, complete confusion. I said, the school, I said, you'll wait to hear from the school. But because she was so interested, she was able to focus on that. Mm-hmm. Now, if we went into something else, I wouldn't have gotten any level of compliance from her. Wow. So I guess that kind of answers the question of what kind of progress can parents expect from students. Well, that, that's, that's my extreme or... end of things. Typically, it's going to be different on the spectrum, of course, but there, yeah. there are those well, kids that can, can achieve. Yeah, that well, that was a kid. Literally, um, uh, the parents uh, didn't have, they were financially challenged. So I worked with her 15 minutes a week. He was a very motivated kid. So Mm -hmm. that's one of the reasons I decided to move the process to a webinar where we can show the parents the process and they can spend the time, you know, how much time do you want to work on? Most kids don't spend two to three hours a night, five, seven nights a week. Okay. Okay. That's, that was really intense. Most of them do it slower, but they eventually get there. Okay. If you haven't, can you talk about how you measure success over time? So basically, we go into, we start off with, let's get the kids to write those basic sentences like I was telling you about. Right. Then we move on to uh, simple and complex sentences. Then we move on to the basic five-paragraph essay. And by basic, I mean they're getting a C. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have the school district measure the results. Okay. So what I do, what I would do is I'd go and I would, once your kid is working through the process, let's say they decide to purchase our basic course, is the student writing a basic five paragraph essay at the C level? And if the teachers, they'll say yes or no. If they say no, here's the problems, come back to let us know what the issues are and we'll show you how to apply the process so that we can get to that level. And honestly, some parents are through this in a matter of a month or two. Some kids are so extreme you know, they tried everything and hasn't worked. Some of those parents are with us for over a year on that course. Okay. Or because the parents say, I can only devote, you know, an hour or two a week to this. So they're with us somewhere between a month or two and up to a year or so. Okay. And then once the kid is reading, then we move on to the next one, which is bringing their writing up to probably the eighth, ninth grade level. And then it's a jump up uh, to the college level based on mm-hmm. the craft of research. So in each in each event, we tell the teachers and the parents to go and have the school measure it, and they will let you know. And when we reach the correct point, then you're done. And if you're still have, you still need some more time, you stay with us until you meet the goal that you, that you need to get to. And that's why we structure this. Most places will do a webinar for like seven sessions, five sessions. We do it on a rolling basis, and we want parents to stay with us until we get there. Okay. And they can set up their own schedule to do that. Okay. There has to be some impact on self-esteem. And so I wonder, is there anything that you, do you address that at all, the idea of self-esteem? And, and how can, do you have any suggestions for parents on how to teach their kids to foster positive attitudes, uh, resiliency uh, in their children? What you're going to run into is generally two types of students once they reach middle or high school. It's those that have gotten so, I'm just going to try uh, angry with the system, that they become hyper-motivated and they'll do anything to solve dyslexia, and those that are shattered as a person, especially the longer they're in the educational system, especially once they reach high school and they still can't write a basic sentence, they tend to just... They're moping around. They're just, they've given up. So especially when we're dealing with a latter case, what I try to do is, is again, I will go to the, I'll go to the internet and I'll put up Yale dyslexia brain image and I'll print out that brain image in this big, you know, I had some parents go and they made a, a poster out of it. Exercise, yeah. Okay. And we say, okay, let's look at the problem here. You know, the back part of my brain, your parents' brain, hyperactive, this is yours. And what I try to have explained to them is the entire field is trying to take their brain and turn this into something more active. Hasn't worked very well. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, there's been some success, but not a lot of it. Now, the front part of the brain is massively overactive, you know, two to three times. And then we'll look at them and say, you know what, should we give Michael Jordan, imagine Michael Jordan was 18 again. Should we give him a basketball or a hockey stick? <laughs> now, I think Michael Jordan could have been a decent hockey player, but he was the best basketball player, arguably, that's ever played. Mm-hmm. I think giving him a basketball will be something better. <laughs> so then what, what we point to is to say, you see how overactive the front part of your brain is? Yeah, I see it. Okay. We're going to give you the basketball. So then we have to figure out your speciality first. And then we go through that process. And then you start getting something. Okay, I'm good at this. So what? I can't ever write. And then I'll go ahead and ask them about the speciality like I did before. Do you have ideas flying around your head at light speed but with little to no organization? Yeah. How did you know? (laughs) Okay. And then we point. That's the problem. You see how active this is? There's no organization. Here's how we fix it. Word analysis followed by articulation. And then we explain the process and how to do these sentences or how to do that half circle. Okay? And what we go into in the course is how to take that half circle and deal with the articulation for that part of it. And then I usually have the kids go, that makes sense. Okay, now we're getting someplace. Now. What I try to do with how do we exploit this in their area of extreme interest and ability, we will look for a book that's normally a couple of grade levels ahead of where the writing is that is well-written, and they like the narrator, okay? We find their book, we find the narrator, say, okay, we're going to solve your problem just with this. And I get this look like, really? Well, in school, I got to do this, that, the other thing I said for this we're just going to focus on what you're really interested in. Now you start to get some excitement. Okay. So with Casey, when I said, okay, you want Theodore Roosevelt? I'll give you Theodore Roosevelt. <laughs> and I gave her that big, thick book. For other kids, you might start off, we'll break this in. If they're really been crushed as a person, sometimes we'll break it into a project of three to five books. Okay. Because we got to uplift them. Sure. All right. So, yeah, for yeah. example, with a lot of young kids, uh, we'll start off with Harry Potter. Okay. Now, if you can read and write a bit, if you can read and write on Harry Potter, you know, you, you've gotten someplace. And then once they can do that, then we can start going to more evolved things because now they can see the results. I mean, Harry Potter is a very impressive read. So that's right. But here's the thing. Top school, top private schools expect their kids to read that in second grade. Wow, really? Yes, and I've had I've trained parents to have their kids read that book in second grade. Okay, but we started when the kids were in first grade. But these again were very bright kids with parents who have a lot of time. So, um, but just as an example, uh, that's how you'd handle. Now, if they're very motivated, then I would simply say with Casey, "Oh, you're interested in Theodore Roosevelt, right? Here's that." thick book or with other kids about that age i'd say oh you're nursing george washington <laughs> wow this is this is the That's type of a... book we're looking for this is by ron right. chernauer he's okay. very a lot of my kids are interested in his biographies so and when you can get done reading that monster believe me they have the confidence <laughs> i would think so yeah absolutely okay. so you've given us an extreme success story can you give me uh, more of an average success story Sure. There was um, one of my students, his name was Bill, and he's kind of what you described. He was in seventh grade. He couldn't write C-spot run. I mean, literally couldn't write C-spot run without a bunch of, as one teacher said, randomly placed misspelled words. And he was just really interested in Ford cars. So I said, okay, let's take a flyer on this. I had him watch Ford versus Ferrari. (laughs) And he had a kick on it. So we, there's a book by the guy who, literally true story, and I would say that was somewhere in the middle school level. Okay. And we started working on that book, and we started going through the basic sentences. And uh, it it took him, I would have to say, from to, I went through that process we just described, and you know, as I said, once he saw the movie, he got a real kick out of it. He said, "Okay, I, I I'll try it." 
And we went through the book, and he had to listen to it over and over again, and he just really enjoyed it. And it took us, say, about 18 months to get him to write a basic five-paragraph essay. Mm-hmm. And then from there, to get up to the eighth, ninth grade level took about another year, uh, because he had an extraordinarily severe case, and he he's pretty much gave up at that point. Mm-hmm. But by the time we got done with the more advanced essay, that brought him in line to where his classmates were. Wow. And to be honest with you, that's where we stopped. Because okay. I asked him, do you see yourself going on to a traditional college? He said, no. I said, what do you want to do? I want to be an auto mechanic. Okay. So we had a community college where he could become AFC certified mm-hmm. in becoming an auto mechanic. And his writing was good enough for that. It was good right. enough for a community college. And we let him go, and he finished up high school with a B-minus grade point average. And then he went on to the community college and did about the same. He got a mm-hmm. job at a local dealership working on Fords. He's making a very good income, and he's very happy. That's awesome. And then, you know, in reality, it wasn't very long. It may have seemed like a long time to get him up to that, but it really wasn't a long time. You're talking well, my here's the, here's the thing about my competition. As I said, if you can send your kid to an Orton-Gillingham-based school, that's fifty to 80000 a year, they're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. But the parents didn't live next to an Orton-Gillingham school. So even if they could have afforded it, which they couldn't, um, they would have had to send them away to boarding school. Okay. And they didn't want to do that. So right. this allowed them to stay at home. We accomplished things, I would have to say, about the pace that they would, do, would have done. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is his mom working with him a couple hours a week compared to the Orton school having him you know, 24-7. Right. I wanted to ask you about the parents' input mm-hmm. and the parents' support and what it would take for a parent to – the kind of support it takes for a parent to help their child succeed through this program. Well, basically what I tell them is the process isn't all that complicated. I mean, I train teachers from C-spot run to a basic five-paragraph essay in less than two hours. Okay. Parents take more time. So we meet weekly on a webinar. We go through a part of the program. We finish up everything about every eight weeks. And then we have you ask questions and we answer them. And we, stay, we, we ask you to submit your questions ahead of time. We answer those and we open it up for anything clarifying. And we stay until they're all answered. And you just stay with us until you're finished. And this is putting the responsibility on the parents. But as I tried to say, if you try to fight the school district, you know, good luck with that. It happens all the time. You know, parents sue them in federal court. Sure. It takes forever. And even if you do win, what are you going to do? You're going to send mm-hmm. them to an Orton-based school. So just so people know, if they want to look more into that, it's the Academy of Orton-Gillingham Practitioners and Educators in New York State. Okay. okay. If they want to learn more about that, they're going to send them to one of those schools. Most of the time, you don't live near one. And you have to send your kid away to boarding schools. And most parents, regardless if they can afford it or not, or have the school district pay for it or not, don't like that option. Right, right. But if you want to do that, you'll be happy. It'll work. Okay. Can you detail the 90-minute strategy session that you offer for those who pay in full? And what can parents expect to get? Well, actually, we do this before they pay in full. Um, Okay. This is just uh, what happens here is, number one, we ask you to go... And look through, uh, first of all, can your child write, for example, Sarah loathes cleaning a room because it's not fun, she'd rather be with her friends and it smells. Can your child write that sentence? Mm -hmm. If they can't, we have a section where you can go to watch the videos, look through it, and then you can set a time to speak with me and I can answer any clarifying questions. If your child can, we have you go through and watch a 11 and a half minute video and explains the half-circle process, then you need to tell me if your child is beginning, intermediate, or advanced. And then we discuss what we can do with your child based on that. I mean, I use this process with doctoral students who don't mm-hmm. have dyslexia, all <laughs> right? Those are the ones that will give me 50 paragraphs, all right? right. So, uh, and then we discuss things. We, you tell me what your concerns are. I, I show you how we can help with that. And then to see, is this something you're interested in? Because... Mm-hmm. To be honest with you, some parents have realized that the problem is that severe, they're frustrated enough with dealing it, that they're willing to be the primary person responsible for helping their child overcome their problems. I'm just guiding you along the way. Sure. Other parents 
they want to send their kids to a private school who will take care of this. In that case, mm-hmm. uh, after we talk, if that's the way you want to go, I can have some Orton schools that I can recommend to you. Okay. All right. As far as talking about motivating, finding motivation, finding the things that motivate the child, um, can parents play a part in that as well and helping to try to find out what those things are? Yes, we have to go through and find their speciality just the way I discussed today. Yes. So, and, and, that, and that's what we do a lot of times during that 90-minute phone call because I've done this numerous times. But I need to tell parents, uh, generally, the students and parents that I generally work with, the kids can be turned into motivated students or generally motivated already, and the parents are willing to put in the work. Uh, I go going through that process is no guarantee. If the student at that point is still not engaged, then this isn't the right program for them. And at that point, you need to send them to an Orton-based program. Okay. Okay. The one that I primarily recommend is the Gowell School in Western New York. They've been doing this for ninety-six years, and they have a hundred percent college acceptance rate. Wow. Okay. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, they've been doing this for, I said, almost 100 years. Mm-hmm. So if that's the right place for your child, and that's where I'd recommend, and if the school district isn't doing its job, there's always the litigation aspect of it. And just okay. so parents know, if they want to know more about that, uh, th- there's this thing called the Yale Center for Dyslexia and Creative Studies. Go and see if your school district has taken their recommended procedures for k- kindergarten through third grade. If they haven't done it at all, then you probably have the ability to litigate this in federal court. I can tell you that it's very long. It's nasty. Nobody wants to do this. Um, But you can force the school districts, if they don't do that, to force your child to go to to pay for, let's say, um, a Gowell school, and that's $80,000 a year at the base for living on campus. It's south of Buffalo, New York. Okay. So I'm just so those are your options. But if the parents, if the kid is willing to put the work in, or can be willing to put the work in, and the mm-hmm. parents are willing to do the work, those are who we're here to serve. Okay. Do you find that there's there a general advancement in grades as far as you know if you take a C student or can you get a child up to a C student? Can they surpass that? What's what's kind of the average that you've found? It depends on how far the student wants to go. So as I said, for example, in our original program. Um, the worst the students did was the 30th percentile on the GRE writing assessment. And then they graduated from a a hard, a top four-year university with grade point averages between a 2.5 to 3.6 with no accommodations. Incredible. Okay. What I can tell you is if you go through our first program, you're writing a basic five-paragraph essay at the C level. Okay. Okay. And that's, again, the school district will tell you they need that. The next one... We're up to around the eighth, ninth grade level, and that can be anywhere from a B minus to a B plus range. And then for those that are moving on to our preparing for college, the grade on their essay isn't what I'm looking at. It's the it's the teacher looking at. It's probably going to be somewhere in the B range, plus or minus a a, a minus or a plus. The mm-hmm. main point of that program is again, let's go with Romeo and Juliet. I want you to imagine if you, we just took AP English students, they're all writing the same paper. They've been writing the same paper for the past 200 years or the last 100 years. And I want you to imagine being a teacher reading that over and over again and learning nothing. Now you come to the dyslectic student's paper and they learn something uh, small but significant. They learn something new that they haven't experienced before. Right. And I can tell you that that ability is what senior college professors want above all else. They want the students to understand at a basic level the craft of research. And it doesn't happen at even our most advanced schools. Mm-hmm. So at that point, now they have the ability to go into college and to do, as I said, round B work, but creating something that is new in their papers. And that is something that the vast majority of their classmates can't even do, even at the Ivy League. Okay. You mentioned that you have a special offer to the listeners. Oh, uh, yes. So explain what that is and how it's available. Yes. So what we're going to do is uh, when you put this up, there's going to be a code. And they okay. need to go to a web page that they can have a link to it if they're interested. 
the first thing that they're going to do is uh, set up a time to speak with me one-on-one to see if they're interested with the program. So they're going to go, we're going to ask them, can your student write this sentence or not? If not, we're going to send them to a, a series of videos and some information. If they can, they'll have, uh, they'll have the half circle and some more information to try it out. And then they can go ahead and set up a time to speak with me. Okay. If after we speak, they're interested, we'll have a code for them and it'll take $1,000 off the price of the course. Okay. Wonderful. What we want to know is if the parent and the student have to be interested in doing this. Mm-hmm. So we first of all decide, can they write that sentence or not? If they can't, we have a set of instructions from a mom who's, as I said, child was autistic and rewrote our curriculum based on that. Mm-hmm. And that'll give you a chance to see what it's like. And then once you've gone through that, you can click on my calendar link and set up a time to speak with me for 90 minutes where we can answer more of your questions. Mm-hmm. If they can write that, then you're going to learn about our half-circle program, and you're going to tell me, is your, is your dyslectic child beginning, middle, or advanced? And then we'll talk for 90 minutes, and if, they're, if you're interested after that discussion, we give you a code, you go back in, and it, it, t- it takes $1,000 off the price. Okay. Do you have uh, social media, websites, LinkedIn, things like that where people can, can find you? Our, our basic website is dyslexiaclasses.com. That describes our process. Uh, but they're going to want to go through the information after the podcast because right. that's where we, uh, we, we take $1,000 off the course. Okay. We don't offer that to, uh, to people that visit our websites in general because a lot of times they're tire kickers just wondering. When people uh, go through a podcast, I find the parents and the students are much more motivated. Okay, interesting. They've, act- they've taken the time to learn about us. And they're right. more interested in actually doing the work. Do you have any final words of encouragement for parents or and educators, you know, listening? Because I think educators will want to know more about this as well. Well, um, with educators, um, you're going to just going to want to go to my website and contact me directly. We have we give a more of this away to teachers, and I've taught this at major conferences for years. Um, we can show you and. We can show you how to do more very quickly just because you're teachers. The main difference is every time a teacher looks at my curriculum, they tell me I don't like something and I say, you know, they want to make a major change, and I can say go ahead and do that. That was part of our original design specifications. For parents, there's a problem, okay? You have a few choices. You can ignore it and let it get worse. You can decide, you know, I really want to send my kid to a traditional Orton-based uh, approach. And that will absolutely work uh, if you'd like to do that. Besides that, uh, you can contact us and see if you're willing to put in the work to do it yourself, if your child's willing to put in the work. And if you are, we can get you to the same place as a traditional Orton approach a lot faster and quicker than any other way. And just so you know why, Dr. Orton passed away in 1948. This it hasn't really changed a lot since. Okay. So... Um, that's it. And if you, I'll be happy to speak with you, but just really look at it and say, are you really looking to put in the time and effort to make the change now? I know it's a problem. I've lived this and I can tell you that once you overcome it, dyslexia, especially when you get to grad school, it's completely not fair. Um, we become top for a class from grade, from the first day we enter a grad program. And it's just, I want to give you the ability to help your child get there or to get a good head and hands job where they can make a, a very good living doing something that they enjoy. And I think something to walk away with is to know that dyslexia is more an organizational problem than it is a reading and writing problem. Am I correct? Yeah. Reading and writing are the symptoms. So it, like mm-hmm. when you have a cold, a stuffy nose isn't, it's a symptom. It's not the underlying cause. Right. So what we're doing now, and that's why it was so important, I would encourage anybody to get Overcoming Dyslexia by Sally Shaywitz. Her solution for reading is incorrect, as I described on page 78, figure 23 on the second edition. And if you, I'll be happy to discuss this with anybody. Just more, I mean, just so you know, uh, the International Dyslexia Association has me as a reviewer for their reading programs. Okay. So I, I see all the stuff that comes up every year, or a, a portion of it. And what I can tell you is I can explain based on that science how to overcome it. 
everybody else is, again, still trying to deal with that back part of the brain. And the question is, when you're dealing with your dyslectic child, do you want to give Michael Jordan a basketball or a hockey stick? Right. You want to continue fighting this or do you want to play to the strengths? My approach is playing to the strengths, and not everybody agrees with that. So, mm-hmm. if you if that sounds something interesting to you, you know, contact me, and if you have questions on that, I can walk you through it. But more importantly, I can walk you through it with your dyslectic child. I'll, I'll tell you this is what's going to happen, and then when parents see it happens just the way I tell them that, and their dyslectic child then gets interested, they say, "How did you do that?" Well, I've been through this, and I've spent the last twenty years working on the science. <laughs> Wonderful. I can't thank you enough for coming on the show today. It's been fascinating to listen to you, uh, the history of your experience and the program that you have. And I hope that people will take advantage of it because it sounds really fascinating to pursue and it sounds like you've had some amazing success with it. All right. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. It's time now for a tip of the cap, your exceptional needs parenting tip. A great way to start your autistic child's day before sending them off to school is with some gentle pressure. Try having your child lay on their stomach and use a large rubber exercise ball to roll along their body while applying slight pressure. This can help calm and focus your child and start their school day off in a positive and cooperative way. I want to thank you again for listening to this episode, and I hope you'll join me each week to hear about topics new to you or close to your heart. I hope this podcast might inspire you to face your days more confidently, stirring a greater sense of self-love, mindfulness, and outpouring of goodness and positive role modeling for your children while remembering to attend to the areas of your own mental, physical, and if you're inclined, spiritual health, enabling you to be all you hope to be for them. All music heard on today's show comes from Jason Shaw at audionautics.com. Remember to follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Special Ed Rising and on my website, specialedrising.com. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts and tell your friends. You can contact me directly with questions and comments or if you're interested in parent coaching through my email, specialedrising at gmail.com or my contact pages on Facebook or my website. If you'd like to share some of your success stories with the audience, please send them to my email. Let's show the world what's possible. Also, let me know if there's anything you'd like to learn more about. And until next time, peace and keep rising.